uh, Titus chapter 3, verse 1, to get us into our text for today. Hope you're doing good. Hey, the sun's been shining for two consecutive days. It's amazing, okay? So praise God for that. Here's, here's the word of the Lord. This is Titus chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our day in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And here's our text begins for today in verse eight. This saying, and he's referring back to the gospel he just talked about, about what Christ has done in this washing and this renewal. He says, this saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, and he is self-condemned. Verse 12, and when, and, and when I send Artemis and Tychius to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and to not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. So what we have here at the end of the book is kind of just a, a rapid fire synopsis of what's been talked about and then just a, a gameplay. And thank you for bringing me water, Father. I forgot to do that. So thank you. Hold on. Got a little part share, a little dry mouth. So uh, this is the part of the sermon where you get to watch me drink water for a second. I know that was amazing. So now we're back. Thank you. Um, we're at that part um, in the in the in the text where he just kind of ra- it's the end of it and he's he's saying a lot of things really quickly in short short bursts to prepare the to, to kind of wrap up his letters and to give that final exhortation of what they ought to do and what they ought to be about and so as we wrapping up this letter we're just going to go back and let's think about it for a second the major idea of this letter it's written by Paul the apostle this one called out to take the good news of Jesus to the nations and he is a missionary and he's gone all these different places spreading the good news and planting churches he is writing this guy named Titus, who is somebody who's accompanying him on his journey um, of planting churches and his missionary work. And they're on the island of Crete. And this place is a rough place, but God is doing a work amongst the people there. And he's told them, he's told Titus to install elders and to remember to preach sound doctrine because doctrine makes a difference in how you live. And that's what we looked at last week. And we get to this last part after he's talked about the gospel, he gives us a few brief instructions. So there's four instructions I want you to see here that we can kind of take 
takeaway at, at the end is we look at this book and kind of try to say, hey, we, we, we round it up. So here's the first one. It's in verse eight. It says this, this saying is trustworthy. And he's talking about the gospel he's just preached, the idea that Christ came and he died for us and he, he came to us and gave us hope, not while we, that we were deserving it, but he gave it. And then he washed us, which means he cleansed us of sin with the washing of regeneration. He made us alive in Christ and he gave us the Holy Spirit. And now through the Holy Spirit, we can live godly lives. And then he says this in verse eight, this saying, what I talked about, the gospel, is trustworthy, which means you can take it to the bank. Which means that it's not something that is a lie or a falsehood. It is true. So the gospel and the life change it brings is true. And that's why you should be at a church and be in a church, whether it's this one or another Bible teaching church that is teaching the Bible and telling you the gospel and not, not equivocating it and not watering it down, believing it to be true because it's trustworthy. The gospel, the work of Christ, the finished work of Christ and the scriptures are trustworthy. And he says, Titus, teach these things. They're trustworthy. Teach the gospel and the life change it brings. And then it says this, I want you to insist on these things. It's not, it's not something that you can, he can just, just, just say it and, and, and let it be out there and see what people do with it. He says, insist on it. Insist on it. You've probably been in a situation where you've had to insist on something before. I can almost guarantee you that you have. If you've ever tried to get cable in this town, you have to insist that they come over multiple times in multiple ways because they have some kind of major malfunction. All right. Now, some of you are like, hey, we don't even have cable. Fiber's coming to your house. Bless God. I don't have that yet. So, all right. I have to deal with the cable company, and they shall remain nameless. Okay? But you have to, like, you have to be like, come now. We already fulfilled that. No, I've been home all day long. You haven't been here. Well, our computer shows I'm at the house. There's been no one here. I insist you come. And then finally, after months and canceling and, and redoing your service, I may have done that. They finally show up. It's not a suggestion. It's to insist on these things. There are some things in life worth getting worked up about. And the gospel's one of them. There's a lot of things in life that are not worth getting worked up about. And if somebody, somebody might be nudging you right now, say, he told you, okay? There's some things in life not worth getting worked up about. But Paul tells Titus to insist on the gospel because it's trustworthy. Insist on the gospel and the life, lifestyle change it brings. Get this. this. Titus has been very clear. If you believe the gospel, you've been now, you're a new person. You've been made alive. You've been washed with the washing of regeneration. And now you've been filled with the Holy Spirit and your behavior should be different. You are not saved by works of the law, but when you are saved truly by the grace of Jesus, you work and you put your faith into practice. And you should be in a place where people are insisting upon that as the good news. And so what Titus is saying, Paul, uh, Paul is telling Titus, insist on these things, insist on the gospel. Don't back down so that, and here's the reason why, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. So you insist, the, the pastor, the elders of a church are supposed to insist on the gospel because it is good and it, 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 
when the gospel is preached and the subsequent life change it brings is preached, it's good for people so that they can devote themselves to what's right and good. And then we end verse 8 with this. These things, the gospel and the lifestyle, it, lifestyle change it brings, these things are excellent and profitable to people. So get this. You need to, and as the last bit of Titus, impress upon you this truth, you need to understand that we should not, as the people of God, doubt the gospel and the lifestyle change it brings. It is good and profitable for people. Now, here's the thing. It is, it is the height, it can be the height of presumption to tell someone that they're a sinner and they need to turn from their sins and embrace Christ. It can be a just, it's a presumptuous thing to do. However, it might, it might be presumptuous, but it's called because it's good. It's not presumptuous to keep your kids from drinking Drano. Because, you know, for some reason, there's a point in every kid's life where they become a lemming and they try to walk off the face of, they try to kill themselves in some form or fashion. That's why you have those little locks underneath your pantries and stuff like that so they can't get to the dangerous chemicals. And then there comes a day when you think that they're past that and they find another way to be dangerous, okay? But you think about it. It's not presumptuous to come to your child and be like, don't drink Drano. Well, you're violating, if the, if the child could talk in these terms, like, you're violating my desires and my will to drink Drano, dad, mom. Because it should be my right as a free citizen of the United States of America to drink Drano. And it is quite presumptuous of you to tell me that the Drano is dangerous for me. But would it, be, would it not be the height of unloving behavior for you to be like, okay, if you don't like it, I'll just let you drink the Drano. No. It would be ridiculous. It, was, it's, it's, it may be presumptuous to say that to your child, but it's necessary and good and excellent to keep them from doing dangerous things. And the gospel and the offense that it brings. Now, you should not bring offense from your person when you preach the gospel. You, the gospel is offensive enough. It doesn't need your help, okay? When you come and you talk about the good news of Christ, that, that his finished work and that how we, we obtain the blessing through repentance and faith, when we talk about the gospel and the subsequent lifestyle change it brings, it is good and excellent to preach this to people. Even if it does call sin, sin. Even if it does violate what they deem to be the most important thing in their life, whether it's a sexual identity or greed or whatever. It is good and excellent to preach the gospel because it is good news. It's an excellent thing. It is an excellent thing to call people from their sin to repentance. It is an excellent thing to call people from their sin to a savior, Jesus. It is a good and profitable and excellent thing to love someone and to point them to Jesus with your life and your words. It is a good and profitable thing. So we should not doubt for a second. In a culture that is increasingly hostile to truth, especially the Christian message, that we call all people sinners and all should repent and all should come to faith in Christ, that 
where the sins that we call out, the Bible calls out, that those are becoming so politically charged and so heated when we talk about those things. We have to remember this, that the gospel is the gospel and it is good and profitable for people. And I've never known somebody who has heard the gospel and finally believed it that hated the person that told it to them. You know that? When I think back at the people who got in my business and started talking about sin and started talking about Jesus, starting with my parents and leading on to pastors and other people in in churches, I now, I'm thankful for the wounds that they brought. Not wounds of offense, but they just brought the gospel and the gospel wounded me because it showed me I can't trust myself. I have to trust Jesus. That what I'm doing is sin and I must turn from my sin and myself to Jesus. That is a beautiful wound now. That is, that is good news because they wanted the best for me. And now, knowing Christ, there could be nothing greater. That's a good and profitable thing. It's a good and profitable thing to tell someone the gospel no matter how they respond to it. It's good and profitable. So don't for a second doubt how good the gospel is. And the gospel is good news for all people. I mean, he just talked about that in the previous verses. That this is, if you go back up to verse 4, the good, when the goodness and a loving kindness of our God, our Savior appeared. He saved us, not because of works done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. That is good news for all men. And so don't for a second, Paul wraps, wraps up here, don't for a second doubt the gospel, but believe this, it is, it is excellent and profitable for people. Second thing I want you to see, he says this, avoid, but verse nine, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. This is one of those things. Do you know how you talk about a situ- you can talk about a situation without directly talking about a situation? Have you ever seen that before? Like the cryptic tweet or the cryptic Facebook post or the one where somebody says something and you send them back the little eye emojis on the phone like, mm, I see you, okay? And you know like somebody is talking about somebody or some situation, but they're doing it in a way that it's not direct. Obviously, Paul is being indirect here, but he is talking about the false teachers that had arisen in Crete. The false teachers, which we have discussed in previous times, were those who devoted themselves to Judaism and did not recognize how Christianity fulfills the law and Judaism and see Jesus as the fulfillment of those laws. And here's what we, he says here, and this is, a, this is a sort of veiled, but sort of, if you, if you know the culture, it's very clear who he's talking about. Verse 9, he says this, but avoid foolish controversies, and the nature of those controversies is spelled out in verse 9. It has to do with genealogies, dissensions, quarrels about the law, for they're unprofitable and worthless. So there's there's these genealogies that are causing, that are foolishly causing controversy. There's these dissensions or these disagreements and these fights about the law. And so in this church, and what we can piece together, and this was happening all during the first century, and if you look at Galatians and other books like it, there are these, when Christ came on the scene, he fulfills the law. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so all of the Old Testament sacrificial system, the laws, including circumcision, circumcision and the food laws, were all meant to point to our need for Christ and to see Christ's work fulfilled as the way that we can be right with God. All of those things, all of the laws showed us that we need a perfect righteousness that we can't have. And Jesus was perfectly righteous. So in him, we can be per- perfectly righteous. Does that make sense? Also, circumcision, which is the removal of something, was pointing to and to being part of the covenant community was 
pointing towards our, us having the sinfulness of our life removed by Christ and his shed blood. And for us to be now accepted in the covenant community, community not by an outward symbol, but by faith in Jesus. So all these things were, were, being, were controversial because you had so many people in this day and age uh, that Paul was writing in the first century who were committed to Judaism and all of the works of the law and failed to see how Christ fulfilled those things. And so they're in the church where these people are like, yep, yep, Jesus is right, but you also need to make sure that you celebrate all of the Jewish festivals, including the Feast of Tabernacles and the Passover. And also you better not eat that pork chop because you need to follow Jesus, but also you need to keep the food laws. And, and also you need to remember that we have to be in Abraham, so that you need to be circumcised so you can be of Abraham's line. And Paul is saying, avoid foolishness. Shot fired. Because these guys are saying, look at the law, look at the law. And Paul is saying, and the gospel is saying, look at Christ. He fulfilled all those things. You don't need that. Jesus plus something equals nothing. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You need Christ. And so stop, avoid Foolish things. Avoid foolish controversies that go against the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, most of us today aren't tempted by Jewish attempts or Judaizer attempts of trusting in ourselves or trusting in some ceremony. And, and that's not the foolishness that we are usually... Str- we are usually combated with, or we usually have a problem with. Let me give you a few things that are, a few foolishness things that we should avoid that have to do with dissensions and quarrels and genealogies. Anytime someone speaks of some type of astro, astrological event or astronomical event, like blood moons or anything like that, and says Jesus is coming back and you need to hoard food and, and get your bunker ready, okay? Anytime anybody says anything about that, that is foolishness. And there's been a whole string of, Jesus, come back in June. Well, bless God if he does. Because I, I took some Old Testament and I found all the letters and the corresponding numbers of those letters and I added them up and divided by the coefficient of Deuteronomy and this is what I got. You look at, those people are so dumb. It's like arguing, like, that's a chair, and they're saying, no, it's a parakeet. You can't, you're not even speaking on the same terms. Like, the people who understand how to read the Bible, I go, like, that is bonkers, mess, okay? So if you get, when you go into a bookstore and it says prophecy section, go ahead and put a big X over that because that stands for bull, okay? And all that does, every time somebody gets on that thing, you know what they do? They have some secret knowledge. And they say, have you heard about the blood moon? Have you heard about the frog year of the Jubilee? Have you ever heard about that before? You ever heard, oh, have you ever thought about this? That, man, they used to sacrifice in the temple. We don't sacrifice anymore. You ever thought about that? Yeah, because Jesus was the once for all sacrifice, moron. Stop. Stop, stop, stop. And I am well within my rights to call that moronic because Paul called it foolish. And foolish is just as bad, if not worse, in that period of time as moronic. There is a ton of things that can get you off course. 
And Paul is saying, call foolishness foolishness. And, and let me tell you this. If you're concerned because you're like, <laughs> some of you are like, the year of Jubilee of the frogs, what are you talking about? That's, that's made up. It may come out. I don't know. But you're like, I'm worried. I might. You, t- you said that's moronic and foolishness. Like, how am I going to deal with that? This, that other guy's got charts. You don't got no charts, Matt. You're wearing Converse. He's got a suit and charts. How am I going to find that? Put it this way. Anything that takes your focus off of Jesus Christ, him crucified, and the power of the gospel in your life is likely hogwash. Whether that's about end times or whatever. Because this whole book, it has, it's a very practical book. It had to do with elders in the church, and it had to do with behavior in the church. Do you know what it centers around, though? The gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when we see him saying here, he remember verse eight, he says, this is trustworthy. Teach these, insist upon the gospel. It's good and excellent for people. And then we see in verse eight or verse nine, he says, avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. Why avoid them? Because they are unprofitable and worthless. As valuable as the gospel is, the converse is anything that takes the glory away or the focus away from the gospel of Jesus Christ is so unworthy of our time and our effort. And it brings us so, it takes us so far and leads us so far astray from what we are supposed to be about, the gospel and how it changes us and how it changes other people. That is a dangerous, worthless thing, and we should avoid such things. And some of us need to get a better, some better reflexes when it comes to avoiding things, okay? And here's what I mean. How do you, how do you develop those things? So, a friend of mine the other day was driving down I-40 in a big old truck, and a 18-wheeler had had a blowout, and so part of the tire was on the road, and he didn't see that because there was another 18-wheeler in front of him. He didn't see the, the road debris. And so the 18-wheeler hit that piece of the tire, and it slung it back. And thankfully, it didn't go in his window, but it was really close, and it did some, some crazy damage to his truck because of that, that type of debris. And so we joked with him about, man, you're not very good at avoiding things, you know. It was your reflexes are kind of slow. You get those checked out, you know, because that's what you do. You give your friends a hard time, right? And so we were giving him a hard time about it. I want to tell you, there, there, we need to get a higher level of reflex because that is how dangerous this, this debris, which is kind of, there's some Bible stuff in it, but it's so far removed from the gospel or anything coherent. It, it just messes with us enough, and we need to learn how to avoid those things. And so here's some, give you some examples of how you can avoid some of those things. First off, if you work to read the Bible, like you work at it, and you just, and here's how you start working at it, is you find your place to start, and you just don't give up. You just keep putting it in, Bible intake. You just do it. And then eventually, it'll start making sense. That's, that's one thing. It's kind of doctrine of illumination. If you ask the Lord, he will light it up for you, okay? And so that's one thing. So then you can tell, because if somebody comes up and says something, nowadays, like, I can usually tell within five minutes whether, it, or not even like within five seconds whether it's hogwash or not, because they say something I've never heard before, okay? Now, I don't know the whole thing front to back, okay? I'm not telling you I do that, all right? I can't quote you chapter and verse on everything, okay? Leviticus gets real hazy sometimes, Try to read Deuteronomy. Go to Numbers, by the way. Holy cow. Okay, so if we want to talk about Numbers, so they bring that up. But for the most part now, it just takes me two seconds to be like, nope, that sounds crazy. 
You know why? Because I know it. I'm acquainted with it. It's real quick. It's like if someone hands you Monopoly money, you'd be like, dude, this is orange. Maybe this is Canadian, but I don't know. All right? Have you ever seen their money? Um, you know it immediately. It's not the right size. It's not the right shape. And so you're, because you're acquainted with those things, you can tell that. So become acquainted with the second thing is this. Observe the lifestyle of the teacher that is teaching those things. Oftentimes, those who are proclaiming foolishness live a lifestyle that's very decadent. And they're asking for like private planes. And they got big salaries and they got big houses and there's a lot of fishiness. Watch their lifestyle. Because remember, doctrine makes a difference. Right? Finally, about avoiding. If you are prone to pick up a new idea and run with it to its farthest extent without really like just, that's my new one. I'm going with that. Here's how you know this. If you've been on 12 different diets in two years, you might be that person who jumps on an idea and takes it to its end. I'm paleo today. Now I'm keto. Now I'm carbo. Okay, I mean like whatever. If you do that all the time, you might have one of those personalities that does not, you don't have the reflexes to avoid stuff. Okay. You don't have that reflex to kind of discern and know what you need. Like you just kind of just, and that's okay if that's you. Okay. You just need to see that blind spot. And here's what you do. If you find something that troubles you, instead of diving in first, talk to trusted people in our church or in a church that you trust, elders, pastors, Bible study leader, deacon, somebody, and say, hey, have you heard of this? Can you tell me something about this author or something like this? Because it is, it is really easy to get off course when it comes to a gospel-centered life. Do you know why? Satan hates people who live for the gospel. And our flesh wants to focus on other things other than the gospel too. But we need the gospel so much in our lives to keep us on track. You see this, the third thing he tells, avoid foolishness. In verse 10, he says this. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful and he is self-condemned. Now, that is a pretty harsh statement. Let's read that again because in verse 10 it says this. As for the person who stirs up division. This is related. This, this has to be related back to verse 9 in the flow of the argument. So these people who are continually teaching false things and are trying to be divisive in the church. Okay, you realize some people just like drama, right? And some, they, these, so there could be actually something to these people in the church who are causing drama with these false doctrines. They might not even really believe them. They just like to keep the pot stirred. And here's how Paul says to deal with them. And it's kind of it's harsh, but we need to understand what's at stake. In verse 10, it says this, As for a person who stirs up division, teaching falsely or trying to make trouble, have nothing more to do with them. And then he qualifies that with this. Or it says, um, let me go back, verse 10, As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. So it's not like the first time somebody messes up, 
that's it, you're out of here. You Get out of the church, get out of the fellowship. That's not the case. Second thing is this. If you are here and you're not convinced about Jesus, you've come to a great place because we want to talk to you openly and honestly about who Jesus is. And this is a great place if you're not convinced to be here because we're going to teach you the Bible, we're going to point you to Jesus, and so hopefully you will become convinced, okay? So that's not you. So if you're coming in here thinking, well, I don't know if I'm going to teach the right doctrine, okay, we're not counting on you to teach. You just sit back, you hear, and you, you discuss with people, and we want you to hear the gospel. So it's not related to that, okay? The third thing is this. This is for this kicking out is for somebody who's a part of the church, who is being divisive and teaching wrong things. He says, after warning him once or twice, once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. This is, again, this is talking about somebody who's in the church, who has professed faith in Christ, who's a standing member, who's working stuff up and is trying to be divisive. That does not mean, first off, let me just be clear, that does not mean that you have an unquestioning and there's no accountability of, our, of, our, of your elders, okay? I, I want you to understand that, okay? And I want to be clear about that. Because, like, we're an elder-led church, okay? So we inform you guys, we be, we're transparent, but we, we lead, okay? But if there's something going on that's fishy, there is room to bring that up to us and to bring that up and to discuss, okay? Because now Tom and I have taken great, great links to be accountable to people. All our financial stuff's accountable. We have an outside person who does all that type of stuff. So this is not a call because this is not a call for you never to question your, your, your elders or your leaders if they're in sin or if there's something fishy. That's not what this call is, okay? But this is a call that if somebody's in the church and they're doing divisive things, that you go to them and you discuss it with them and you ask them to repent, and if they don't repent after the second time, then you ask you have nothing more to do with them. You put them out of the church. And what's the reason? Why do you do that? The reason is, and if you look at Paul and other situations, it's not to be, it's not to punish them. It's to turn them over to Satan in a way so that they might see their sin and repent and come back. This has something to do with the integrity of the church to, keep, to make sure divisiveness and false teaching is not taught. Remember how much Paul insists that Titus teach sound doctrine. And if you let somebody stay in the church teaching something wrong, it can hurt the doctrine of the church, okay? So it's about keeping the church doctrinally sound so they can be behaviorally sound. The second thing is this. It's for that person who's in sin because sometimes you just need a wake-up call, right? And sometimes if what you're believing is puts you out of fellowship with the people that you love and are seeking Christ with, Hopefully that'll wake them up so they'll return and trust Christ again. And then Paul just says, and if the case is that they don't come, that that shows that they are sinful and warped. Now, I want to be clear about this. This is not something that, that your elders or your leadership here is going to jump towards. We operate under grace, okay? I want you to know that because we need grace. Tom, we need some grace, don't we? We need lots of it. And you know what? We try to, because remember we talked about last week, if you have experienced God's grace, it makes you a gracious person. Knowing amazing grace makes you amazingly gracious. So we ain't running towards that, but there's a time when somebody shows unrepentant behavior that you have to do that for the sake of the church and for the sake of that person that they might come back, that they might see, that it might be a wake-up call for them. It's kind of like this. You ever watch that show, um, uh, uh, Intervention? I don't know if it's still on. 
But intervention is it deals with a family or, or somebody who's drug addicted and the intervention that they have. And most of the time, what happens? They have to do tough love at the intervention because it says, "I will no longer enable you." to do this behavior. You go get this help, which we are offering, or we're going to have to change our lifestyle. And we're going to have to distance ourselves from you. Are, is that mean to do that? No, it's loving to do that. Do you know why? Because that person is in danger. And that's what happens when church discipline has to take place. It's doctrinal. Now, I know some of you, that's a sore spot because so many of you have been treated wrong by so many different churches. You've seen, and I've heard stories about churches in the surrounding areas who have done church discipline on non-members. That's unbiblical. Secondly, I've heard stories about people bringing, <laughs> being surprised that they're being brought before the church when they walk in on that Sunday morning. And that, that does not go, uh, that goes against scripture because what does it talk about in Matthew 18? If you look there, you're supposed to go one-on-one to a brother in sin and then take two and then take the whole church eventually. That's like, that's like the nuclear option. Second here, they gave this person several times to repent before they brought it before the church. That is not what we're talking about. And just because some people have done it wrong in the past and have hurt people doesn't mean it's not true. It just means people have hurt people. Have you ever had bad service at a restaurant? Okay. Like just terrible service. Like everything's wrong. They upcharge you things. They, they've done all sorts of things, you know. The, they don't fill your drink. They do all that kind of stuff. Do you still go out to eat? Yeah, most of us do. You know why? Because we don't let one bad experience be like, oh, just that's never again. That Denny's was terrible. Never again will I eat out anywhere. No. That's the same thing. Just because you've seen a lot of things done wrong doesn't mean you don't follow the clear teachings of Scripture, which says this, that if you look in, this, in verse 10, as for a person who stirs up division, especially if it's doctrinal in nature, after warning him once and twice, once and twice, it, a gracious warning, calling them to repentance, not an angry fight, but in grace, confronting an issue. What do you do? You have nothing more to do with them. What's the purpose? Is it just to get rid of them? No, it's to protect the integrity of the church, but it's also so that person might have a wake-up call and realize that they are in danger because what you believe matters. Then it goes on, then says, knowing that such a person is warped, sinful, and is self-condemned. Sometimes you have to put that person out, hopefully that, that there will be a wake-up call for them and then come back, and if they don't, you have to protect the integrity of the gospel because it's more important. Finally, if you see this, so we got this, don't doubt the gospel and its lifestyle changes bring is profitable and good. Void foolishness and unprofitable, worthless things. Deal with devices, people, when you have to. Do it with grace, but do it as the Bible instructs. Finally, we end here, verse 12 and following, which is a whole bunch of like personal stuff. It says, I want you to get this. We need to learn to devote ourselves to good works. Look in verse 12. It says this, when I send Artemis and Tychius to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, and I've decided to spend the winter there. Let me tell you some, some facts, some biblical facts about Artemis and Tychius. They are mentioned in Titus 3.12. And that concludes all the information that I have about them. We don't know. Their, their names just get mentioned. 
And the whole purpose of the mention is when they show up, and we don't know why they're showing up. We don't know where they're from. We just know these people's names. And Paul says, when they show up, I want you to come to me and meet me in this city so that we can fellowship together. Paul is longing to have fellowship with Titus. And so he's asking Titus to come and, and help him and encourage him to be a part of the gospel work. Do you, you realize this? Um, sometimes this, our presence with friends, especially with missionaries like that, is a great encouragement to them. I have had, we've had, over the years, I've had friends who've been missionaries in different places, in Africa. Um, one, of our, one of my good friends, his sister and brother-in-law are in Madagascar. Now, when you think Madagascar, you probably think of that movie, right? And that's what I thought about. I was like, penguins and like Chris Rock as a, you know, a zebra. You're like, yeah, that's going to be really cool. The lemurs. I like to move it. Move. Okay. You, and then they go there. And Clint, you've been to the house. You've seen the stuff. We went to his, their parents' house and they started getting out the pictures. And when they moved there, Everybody in Madagascar gets some type of parasite and keeps it. These thin, trim people lost 40 pounds each when they moved there. They have to get to where they're actually doing their ministry. They have to take hovercrafts. Not like Back to the Future hoverboards, but like they actually, you know, they have hovercrafts. And that's how they had to get to this place in the bush. When they got there, they had to build their own house out of block. So before they lived in the house that they had to build, you know where they lived? A tent made out of a blue tarp. And you know where they cooked? On a fire on the ground with a big steel pot. Whoa. And this is like this is International Mission Board, Southern Baptist missionaries, okay? They got a lot of funding, and this is what's happening over there. Now, Thomas, a friend of mine, that's his sister who's over there, he went about a year ago to Madagascar. It took him 36 hours to get there, to get to see them. Do you know he doesn't speak any other language in Madagascar? Do you... <laughs> Do you know that his going there did absolutely nothing to help the people of Madagascar at all? Maybe it put some dollars in the economy. I don't know. But you know his trip was important. Do you know why? Because he got to see his sister and brother on the field, and it encouraged them so much to know that they are loved and that they are cared for and that they are being prayed for and that, the, and that, they are, that, that Thomas is behind them 100% in their pursuit of the gospel. And so that's what we see here is, Titus, devote yourself to this church, to the churches in Crete, but also you come see me and encourage me when I show up at this town. And then verse 13, it says this, do your best to speed Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way. I'm going to give you some facts about Zenus. Zenus appears, his name appears in the Bible in Titus 3 verse 13. That's it, okay? That's all we got. And he's a lawyer. That's fact number two. The second one, uh, we know about Apollos. He showed up before in the first and second Corinthians. He's been in that. The, he apparently is a good preacher of the gospel. And so what's happening here in this particular verse is saying, do your best to speed Zenos and Apollos on their way, is that these missionaries, Zenos and Apollos, are going to be coming on their work to spread the gospel. And when they show up in Crete, your job is to love them and to get them what they need to go. And that's what we see in verse 13. It says this, see that they lack nothing. 
So Titus, he's telling Titus here, come and you devote yourself to good work by encouraging me when I show up so I can continue my ministry. Also this, when gospel people come, people who are missionaries, people who are preaching the gospel, when they come, I want you to show them hospitality, send them on their way with everything that they need. That is what you ought to do. That's how you devote yourself to good works, to, to do good to gospel people. 14, it says this, and let your people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and to not be unfruitful. And so here is how he wants to wrap up. The doctrine makes a difference. What you believe about the gospel affects how you behave. Not only that, amen, all right? So not only that, that was good. I was getting good up in here. Woo, all right? What you believe about the gospel makes a difference in your life, and then it also makes a difference into what you devote yourself to. And in this particular situation, they're to to devote themselves, especially Titus, but it really is a command to that whole church because this would have been read in front of all those churches, okay? That's how they would have done worship. When this letter came, Titus would read it, but he would also read it to the church to hear Paul's instructions. And so what we see here is that they should devote themselves to good work, especially the advancement of the gospel. And the number one way, at least we see here, that they are going to be advancing the gospel is by encouragement and hospitality. Encouragement and hospitality. What do you mean? I've had the, I've had the blessing and privileges, and this is unusual because I, I went to seminary and I went to a Bible college, so I know a lot of people who are preaching the gospel a lot of places. It's just because of who I was running with. And it's been cool to me to be able to host people that sometimes I don't even know them very well at our house on their way to go visit some kids in seminary or on their way to do this or to come and preach at an event or people have hosted me. People I know, gospel people have hosted me when I'm going to do an event and they've let me stay at their house or they got me a hotel room and they got me a gift basket or they, they've done these different things, you know. Something small, when I say gift basket, I'm not talking like, you know, like Oscar gift basket, like with a watch, I'm talking like crackers and like soda. And I'm like, that's awesome, okay? That's really cool. And what I'm saying is this, that they have, these churches have, and these people in my life have been able, and I've been able to do this through extended hospitality in a way that serves somebody in the gospel that can go forward. You know, like how, you know how you can serve people in the gospel? Even and speed them on their way and, and, and help people know, know the Lord and to, how you can devote yourself to good work. Sometimes it's as easy as when you see somebody new at church, you say, would you like to go eat at the taco company? And if you don't like the taco company, you don't go eat at Subway. I don't care where you go eat, Okay. But it's one of those things where you want to know that person. You know that they have, it takes a lot of guts to walk, into the church, to walk into a church the first time. You know that, right? No matter where it is, it takes a lot of guts. And if you get greeted warmly and you get to, somebody gets to know your story, that's the way you can do gospel ministry there. Secondly, you can pray and you can encourage missionaries. And when we can host missionaries and give to missionaries, we can devote ourselves to good works, to learn to devote yourself to good work. It can start in hospitality. It starts in service. It starts in so many different ways that we can do that. And Paul is calling Titus to live a life devoted to good works. Why? Because good works save you? No, because when Jesus saves you, he saves you for good works. They're prepared, as Ephesians 2.10 says, they were prepared beforehand for you to do and for you to walk in. And part of that has to do with how you minister and, and host other people. And there's a lot of, listen, I know you might not be the type that likes to host people at your house, but I want to tell you something. B 
be stretched in Jesus' name. Remember we told you when, when we talked about this, Paul told Titus to exhort and rebuke. Exhorting means calling somebody to do something. Rebuking means saying, don't do this. So today, as I exhort and rebuke you, and I do what I'm supposed to do, I do this. I call you to this. I call you to show gospel hospitality, to get out of where you're comfortable and do one thing different, which might mean you initiate having a meal with somebody. And if, it's, if you're not feeling squirrely and want to have them at your house because you don't want to do the flight of the bumblebee clean or you got some weird germ thing or you just don't like people in your house, go somewhere with them. If you got the means, pick up the tab. And if you don't, go Dutch and it'll be fine. Okay? Split the bill. But do something in love for one another. So in, a, in the gospel sense... Invite that person that you've been wanting to come to church, that you know they need the gospel. Go, go take, take a step out and do that. Devote yourself to a good work. So, and then here, and that's the exhortation to do something. Here's the rebuke. Stop giving excuses. God can and will use you. You are created for good works if you have been reborn. He can use you. I don't know a lot. Can you make a meal? No, I can't. Okay, can you buy a meal? Yes, that's how I've survived. Good. Buy the meal. Bring the meal. Hug the neck. Make the phone call. It's that simple to start. I don't know a lot. Do you know Jesus has saved you? Yes. Just start there. I don't have all the answers. Good. I don't either. But Jesus is the answer. Just start somewhere. Devote yourself to good work. God inevitably is putting something in your life right now that you know that you need to turn away from and something you need to start doing through these things. And then he wraps up and he says this, all who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. In the faith, Grace be with you all. I want you to get this and see this finally as we just kind of wrap this up. The church is supposed to be a place where we experience God's amazing grace and we are amazingly gracious to one another and to anybody who walks in our doors. And we should be full of love and for a wanting to greet other brother, greet and do good to other brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you get me? Do you see that? Like This place should be like, you know, when we look at gospel people in other gospel churches, we should not have any type of envy or competitiveness with them. You know why? Because they're our brothers and sisters. And right here, Paul is rooting for all those churches in Crete. And it's not, he's not wanting Titus's ministry to fail so his can look better. He wants that church to be full of love for one another. He says, greet all of them and and let them know we love them and that the grace of God be with all of you. And that's how we need to operate, that we want to be a church that's for gospel churches and for gospel people. And when we hear good gospel things, we want to be like, that is right. Whether it's down the street at First Baptist or in Lebanon with our our boys at Journey or in Mount Juliet with them too because they're blowing up. And, you know, we don't want to get envious of them. We want to love them because they love us. And we want to be that place that's filled. Like, if you walk in here 
and you got doubts, this is a place of grace, and we want to love you and hug your neck. And it might freak you out we hugged your neck, okay? But we still want to love you. If you're here and you're struggling and you just don't have it all down, good. Come. Connect with people. Connect with God's word. Let's be a place full of grace and love. That is what Paul wants, a place of greeting, a place of love. That is what doctrine does. The grace of God makes us gracious people, which makes us loving people, which makes us put up with a whole lot, which the reason we put up with a whole lot is not because we have, we're like dish rags or jellyfish with no spine. It's because we have grace. We've been given grace. We want to exercise grace. We want to love people with that grace because God is grace. It doesn't mean that we don't have a spine because if you start teaching something different, we're going to have to stand up to it. But we're going to take offense, take offense, take offense, take offense, take offense, take offense, love you, have you over, deal with your mess, you deal with our mess, we're going to love you. That is the grace of God. And Paul just wraps it up and he says, all who are with me, they, they send greetings to you. And they greet you, and they, he says, greet those who love us in the faith, and grace be with you all. Oh, how good it is for grace to be with us all. We're going to do this. We're going to pray, and we're going to celebrate communion together. Tom's going to come and lead us in the time of communion. I'm hoping through this time in, our, in the word and in song today, God has spoken to your heart. And I take this time as Tom comes up and he leads us, and our communion team comes up in just a second after we pray, or as we pray. To prepare, to, to, God's spoken something to you. you. You've been exhorted, called to do something, or you have been rebuked, or both at the same time. You even said, that is not the way to go. Repent, turn, turn towards Christ. You might need to just take an action of inviting somebody to lunch. Well, not today. We're having a members thing after that. The lunch is already paid for. I don't know what I'm doing. But they say next week, it's on. come on. Well, let the Lord work. And I pray this for all of us here, that the grace of God would be with us all. And the grace of God doesn't just save, but it also trains us and points us towards righteousness. So we're going to ask God to work a work of grace to the Spirit in our lives today and respond as we, we, we see it necessary. Let's pray. Father, man, you're good. Oh, we're thankful for Christ. We're thankful for his grace and mercy. We're thankful for what you have done in our lives what you're doing in our lives, and what you will do in our lives. We are thankful, Lord, for your grace, which is so amazing. We're thankful for the work, for what it does in us. God, I pray right now that you would bless our congregation and those who are with us as guests today. Um, As we respond to your word in this time and as we take communion together, um, it is a symbol of what you've done, and we just rejoice in the gospel today. Lord, we, uh, we are thankful to be part of your family and to be a part of those who have been redeemed by grace. And we are thankful for that in Jesus' name. Amen.